0: Welcome. Uh, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here at Central. want to ask you a question on this Thanksgiving uh, weekend. And by the way, just as a general rule, if the stage is going to look really nice like this, I try not to dress sloppy and ruin it. So I put a tie on today. Don't get used to it. It's once in a while, all right? Imagine with me for a moment that I got hit by a train or a bus or whatever, and I was gone and uh therefore central would need a new lead pastor and say the elders really really knocked this one out of the park and we're able to get Jesus to come be just imagine with me uh we're able to get Jesus to come be uh the, the new lead pastor at central that that's what you call an upgrade for sure um also, I would be super ripped off because I would have died and then gone to be with Jesus and then he would have come here to be the lead pastor. So I would be really unhappy, uh, but you would be super blessed, right? Because you'd have Jesus as your lead pastor. Can you imagine just, you could go in to have some pastoral care an appointment with your pastor and Jesus is going to speak into your life, literally just right there like that. Um, so you're just, every sermon is going to be super on point, obviously, right? It's going to be Christ exalting for sure. All of those things. Um, but here's a question because we'd be excited, right? You'd all be, I I wouldn't be excited. You would be excited. It would be amazing. I would be happy for you. Uh, but listen, would you be as excited, as astounded, also in awe, just to remember and to know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Like, is that not as amazing? Actually, it is, biblically speaking, better than Jesus as your lead pastor. Because Jesus said in John 16, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's better that I not stick around and be your pastor. It's better that I go and I send the helper to live inside of you. Are you astounded by that truth? In another place, Luke 7, Jesus speaks of John the Baptist and says of John the Baptist, this one who who pointed Jesus out to everybody, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he got to be this herald of the Messiah, of the Savior. And Jesus says of John, among those born of women, which is most people, none is greater than John. Among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet... The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So up to the point of John the Baptist, John the Baptist kind of shining a light on Jesus and saying, look, it's God's son. Up to that point, John was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, right? He's the greatest of the prophets, greatest really to have lived to that point. And Jesus says, but the least in my new kingdom." the ones who live in light of the resurrection and have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, the least of those in my kingdom are greater than John the Baptist, who was the greatest to that point. That's unreal. That's unbelievable. So so Jesus is actually saying that there are like least in the kingdom. So let's say in this room, there's a least in, 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 in the kingdom represented here in this room. Now, if we're all humble enough, we'll say, it's, uh, it's me, Pastor. It's me. But let's just say there's, there's a least among the Christians in the room. That's harsh. That seems weird. But Jesus is saying there's a least in the kingdom. So there's a least of the Christians in this room. It's okay. You, my friend, least wherever you are, greater than John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, greatest than all of those in the Old Testament longing for this Messiah to come, longing for Jesus, longing to be for the Holy Spirit to be poured out among God's people and to dwell inside of them. That is a staggering truth. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about this morning, we often put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllables, meaning right? For some of us, the Trinity functionally means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, right? Did I get that wrong? Like, right, it's just functionally, right? There's, there's God the Father, great, perfect, get that, God the Son, uh-huh, and then the Bible. There's nothing more, right? And then there's those, maybe the pendulum swings the other direction. We all know a few people like this, where the Trinity to them is God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, <laughs> And amen, my brother, God, the Holy Spirit, right? That's the Trinity. And so there's that sort of scenario going on too, where literally everything in their faith seems to be about the Holy Spirit. Uh, And then of course, there are the others that I spoke about where it's like, there's no mention of, no acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. But of course, in true Christian faith, we actually believe that there is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's an important thing, a necessary thing both to believe and to live in light of. Like, let's talk about salvation for a moment, just a moment. The Holy Spirit, or God and uh, salvation. See, there's one God in three persons, equal in power and glory, but each performing distinct roles in redemption. The Father, we could say, orchestrates redemption, Jesus, the Son, um, accomplishes redemption and the Spirit applies it, right? So both the the orchestrator, the accomplisher, and the applier of salvation. These are important distinctions for us to see and, of course, to acknowledge and to live in light of. We're doing a series this fall um, called We Are What We Value, and we're working our way through our six stated values because we want them to be so much more than stated values. We don't want them to just be on a poster in the foyer and on one of our pages on the website, but not be who we are. Our goal, our desire, our heart is, Lord, may we embody these values more and more because they're so critical uh, in what you, how you call us to live, so vital and so rich. And so this morning, we are looking at our value of being empowered by the Spirit. So some of the questions we want to try and answer this morning is, what does it mean to be a Spirit-empowered church? And why is it important that we be empowered by the Spirit? And how can we be a church and individuals of it empowered by the Spirit? So let me read a text where we were going to hang our hats this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 4 through 11. If you have a Bible, you can open it there. It goes after the Gospels in the New Testament, after Acts, after Romans. Then you get to 1 Corinthians It's going to be on the screen as well. If you have a Bible app, you're welcome to use it. we have Bibles around uh, up in the corners of the balcony and just outside these doors. Welcome to have one of those Bibles use it as well. Let me read the text. It says this, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit is a person, a person of the Trinity who gives gifts to his people are going to have three points this morning, and here's what they are, and then we'll work our way through. First, there's one giver of a beautiful diversity of gifts. This text shows us there's one giver of a beautiful diversity of gifts. Second, there's one purpose for the beautiful diversity of gifts. There is a purpose for it. And third, how to manifest the beautiful diversity of gifts. Are you Ready? Okay, let's pray that God meet us in this and we'll carry on. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to save and thank you for sending your spirit to us. God, I pray um, that you would speak to us through your word this morning, illuminate it by your spirit this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would all the more continue to bring the spirit's work to bear in our lives, and the life of our church, all the more. We ask for that. We desire that. Pray that you'd teach us about that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So there is one giver of a beautiful diversity of gifts. So let's talk about the giver and let's talk about the gifts. The giver. Look at verse thirteen. It's or, uh, verse 11. Sorry, It's summarizing, right? There's this gift given by the Spirit, and that gift given by the Spirit, and this gift given by the Spirit, and that gift given by the Spirit. And then verse 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That is saying many things, but it's saying no less than. It's the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual gifts to everyone who believes. I mean, check out verse seven earlier. It says, to each is given. That means everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus has put their faith in Jesus. Everybody is given a gift by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, the church and the world is vital. Vital. And why is it vital? Fascinating story, a fascinating verse, really. Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus has died, and he's risen, he's proclaimed the great commission to his disciples, and then just before he ascends into heaven, he says, and behold, I'm sending the promises of my Father, that's the promise of the Holy Spirit upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high fascinating little verse. Like I said, Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus gave this great commission, go to the nations and baptize people and teach people everything I've commanded you. Like you need to go and do that. So here's this group. They're the only people on the planet that truly comprehend and believe the gospel. They've been told to go everywhere and tell it. But then Jesus says, but I'm going to say, you just wait though. Don't do it yet. And you're thinking, why? They're the only ones with this message on the planet that can save people, but wait, hold up, why? Well, they needed to wait for the filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting about that is their best, their very best, was absolutely useless to produce anything of value. Left to their own devices without the sending of the Spirit Two believers, to be filled and empowered by the Spirit, their best, running around, telling, doing, was utterly useless, had no eternal value. I mean, let that sink in. Our best efforts in and of themselves are useless for the kingdom. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So here is this group that get the gospel but have not yet been empowered by the Spirit, so they're not to go about doing a thing yet. See how vital, like vital it is in our lives, the church's life, and in the world that we be a people empowered by the Spirit? There's just no use doing anything until you are. Maybe you've heard this illustration before. Imagine that you've decided to go sailing. The problem is that you know next to nothing about sailing, like me. So you go to the store and you purchase several books to find out what's involved. You carefully read them and then you talk to a veteran sailor who answers questions for you. The next day you rent a sailboat. You examine it closely to make certain that everything needed for a successful sailing experience is present and in good working order. Then you take your boat out on the lake and your excitement is at a fever pitch, though you're also afraid but you follow the instructions you've read and the counsel you've received from the experienced sailor and you launch your boat into the water. You carefully monitor each step step as you hoist the sail. At that precise moment, you learn a crucial lesson. You might even be able to build a sailboat. You can study sailing. You can seek counsel from the wisest and most veteran of sailors. You can cast your boat onto the most beautiful of lakes under a bright and inviting sun. You can successfully hoist the sail, but, and this is big, only God can make the wind blow. We can study the Bible, and learn all that there is to learn about spiritual gifts. We can honor Jesus and submit our lives to him. We can do everything in our power, but only the spirit can make the wind blow. And whether or not the sails fill with a breeze and whether or not the boat moves an inch is dependent on the spirit of God doing as he pleases. The Holy Spirit decides who gets what gifts we don't. But we are told to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and we recognize that we are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit's empowering work in and through us for any sail to catch a breeze. So that's the giver of the gift. Let's talk about the gifts. Again, verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. When it says manifestation of the spirit, what it's saying there is really, there's a clear indication of the existence or presence of God in that. So any of the manifestations of the spirit, we're gonna look at a number of them that are listed. We're gonna look at all the ones listed here. They're not exhaustive, but there's a number of them listed. There's this, Sense wow, God is in our midst, God is working through that there 's this this tangible manifestation of god 's presence, the spirit 's work through the gift now listen, we live in a culture cultural moment where equality equals sameness, right like line up, see it how we see it, and then we can be unified and and right and And all of that. And yet, what we see here in the gifts is that there's a variety of gifts. Um, There's meant to be a diversity and yet a a unity. So, well, on the one hand, culturally it seems that where to be unified means everyone needs to hold the same view on something. Right? Dictators on the left and right try to impose a monotone sameness on people. But here we see a beautiful diversity working together. Look at it like a symphony. An orchestra, the Holy Spirit composes a symphony in the church where every member of the orchestra plays their unique part. And the harmonies come from each member contributing their part. So there's harmony, but there's this beautiful unity and the various gifts working together is absolutely beautiful. And each instrument, each player in the orchestra is absolutely vital. Yes, you need the first violin, but you also need the third violin right? And you need the oboe and the timpani, and they all work together to create this beautiful harmony. So it is with the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts like a gift giver, right? If, you're buying, if I'm buying a gift for somebody, somebody can give me a list, but I'm choosing what I'm giving to that person. So it is with the Holy Spirit. He's the giver of the gift. I'm going to apportion this one to you, this one to you. And the giver of the gift is the one who chooses who gets what. But when we are given gifts, we are to use them. And in the diversity of our gifts used in the church, this beautiful unity takes place. So let's look at the gifts listed here. There are others listed in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and other places. But we're going to look at these as an example of a diversity of gifts. So let's look first. We see the gift of the utterance of wisdom and also the utterance of knowledge. Have you ever been in a conversation and maybe you're trying to figure something out. You're exploring something. You're trying to discover either something of God or something in a circumstance, right? I mean, you might be seeking God. And then in that moment, somebody says something. It's usually quite a short statement, but it's so on point, And everyone's like, yes, that's exactly it, right? It's that that utterance of wisdom. Now, oftentimes when we talk about gifts of the spirit, it, there's a spontaneity to it, but not always. God Particularly gifts some believers with a gift of, of utterances of wisdom or utterances of knowledge and ability to um, uh, understand those things and to share them in a godly way, in a Christ uh, exalting way. Also, see the gift of faith here. Now, listen if, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have faith because we're saved by grace through faith, and so. Faith is a requirement for all believers. And so what's being said here about the gift of faith is it's a particularly um, strong witnessing gift of faith or in the midst of a real trial, this persevering faith is a, it's a faith that stands out and inspires. A few weeks back, we uh, were asked as, as elders to uh, pray over someone who uh, received, um, received news that uh, cancer had come back a second time for him. And so we were praying for him and his young family we were asked to do that. Uh, so we did that between services a few weeks back and we were praying for them. And I walk in the room thinking, I'm gonna minister to this family. And that was the goal and that was what we did. And yet at the same time was so ministered to because in the midst of praying for this family, praying for healing, praying for this man, um, he began to pray. And the very first words out of his mouth were, God, God, Thank you for this trial. I was like, wow. It's not what I was expecting. (laughs) And then his 11-year-old daughter, Abby, prayed next. And she prayed, God, thank you that last time my dad had cancer, it brought me closer to you. I just pray this next time, this second time my dad has cancer, it brings me even closer to you. That was one of the highlights of my last year in ministry. And why is that? Because I witnessed the faith of a brother and sister in Christ. And it was a gift to us. Healing. Uh, I heard from John and Bonnie Esau, missionaries of ours to Thailand. And just astounding Works of God, miracles have been happening in this place that they are serving in Thailand. Uh, a number of people have been healed from, from cancer and from uh, a man had blindness in an eye and, and for years and they prayed that he would be healed and his uh, sight was restored in his left eye. Incredible things like that. This woman named M, this Thai woman named M had um, cancer, I believe, and she was healed. She was healed from cancer, and she had such faith in God now that she started to go to the hospital and witness to people, and as she was witnessing to people in the hospital, she'd say, do you want to be healed? And they'd be like, well, sometimes they'd be like, yeah, sure, I'd like to be healed. So she gets on the phone and calls her young pastor named Shalom and is like, you need to come because there's somebody here who would like to be healed. So could you come and pray that they'd get healed? And, and, and God was working this gift of healing through this young pastor named Shalom, but with fear and trembling in, in him, God was working this. Like he had prayed for a couple people and they had received healing. So M calls him up one day and is like, there's a man who can't walk, hasn't been able to walk for a long time. He's lame and he wants to be healed. So could you come to the hospital and pray? And so that he can walk again. And like, So the way John tells it is like Chalum, like here's this news and it's just like a crisis of faith for him. Because he's like, I don't know if I believe that God's gonna help this man walk again. Like I don't, and I don't know that God's gonna use me to do that. And so the whole time going to the hospital, like crisis of faith Like nerves, just like, ah, I'm going to look like a fool. I don't think this is going to happen. But he shows up in the room and they just begin to pray. Pray that this man who hasn't been able to walk for a long time, that he would be given restored ability in his legs to walk again. And within two days, he was walking again. But that's not really the end of the story. It goes on, of course, to say that the faith of believers in that area is exploding one is the cause of the other and the other is the cause of the, you know, like it's just, you can't really say what's what, but in the midst of what's going on, God is using that faith to continue to do miracles and to draw then more people into the kingdom because the believers are much more passionate and active in engaging their community for Jesus. And I hear stories like that and I say, Lord, in our place, would you do that as well? Would you give us the kind of awe in the midst of these gifts? That absolutely lights a fire in our souls. So we hear that about healing. The next list is, is, is uh, what next on the list is miracles, which is really any miraculous thing that's not healing. So healing is kind of differentiated, and then any other kind of miraculous gift. Then it goes on to talk about prophecy. This this could be a supernatural insight that God brings spontaneously to mind, or or, or simply a timely word of truth. So sometimes it's in spontaneity, God gives a specific prophetic word that couldn't be known by an individual to share with another individual. That's prophetic. Sometimes just when you feel convicted by the preaching of the word, um, prophecy is always the proclaiming of truth. It's just a matter of, of particular timing and that kind of thing. So we can talk about prophecy in a few different ways. Prophecy, typically, right, if you watch televangelists on TV or the really weird prediction shows, uh, supposedly the world was supposed to end a couple of weeks ago, right? That was a prophetic word. Good thing it's not Old Testament times you're supposed to stone the false prophet, but whatever. We we don't live in that time. We live in it. We're a new covenant people, praise the Lord. But it's, we're not always talking about predicting future events like I said, but more about bringing a message from God under the direction of the Holy Spirit to the church. Um, One of our elders, his name's Jeremy, um, God has been kind of calling this, uh, revealing to him that God is placing this gift in him. He sat with people before and said, there's an area of hidden sin in your life isn't there and it's this, right? Uh, Yeah, how did you know that? Well, God put that on my heart. I just wanted to ask. He's one of my accountability partners, so it's super freaky, right? Uh, how's it going, Matt? Good. <laughs> it's all fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, it's, that's good for me. It's good to have that. Um, but he, he had uh, a situation where he was in a, in a group setting, and this young man just walked out of the group. Set. I have to go to the washroom. He just left. And Jeremy was just like, I had this sense from God, get up follow him and tell him how much God loves him. And he's sitting with this group and he's just like, I don't want to do that. No, I I don't want to follow the guy who's going to go to the bathroom to tell him that God loves him so much. And he's just feeling weird about it. And and he's like, literally, I felt like God pulling me out of the chair. You have to. So out he went. And the guy wasn't going off to the washroom. He was just going outside and he just wanted to avoid the situation. Walks up to him and said, I just have to tell you, God wants you to know how much he loves you. And um, weeks later, this young man was debriefing this with somebody else and he said, you know what absolutely changed it for me? It was absolutely a turning point in this kind of rocky road I've been living in. When that guy that I don't know like came up to me and said, I, you need to know God really loves you. Like that God loves me that much he'd send this guy to come tell me that he needs to tell me. That he, it changed like, the gift of prophecy in all of these ways. Uh, it goes on, ability to distinguish between spirits, to be overly simplistic. It's someone with a particular gift, a special gift of discerning whether something is from God or from the devil, from God or, or not, right? Some, we, we hear things and we think, is that from God? Is that the Lord? Right? We, and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's a really deceitful word. Usually it's tearing you down that's not from the Lord, but, but it's that There's people with a particular ability to distinguish between the spirits. And this, of course, helps believers separate truth from error. There are various kinds of tongues, it says, and interpretations of tongues. And so what it means to speak in tongues is to speak in a language that you don't otherwise know, but to be able to speak it. That may be a human language or angelic language. It says just a few verses later in the beginning of chapter three, you can talk in the or you could have the tongues speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but if you don't have love, you're just a clashing symbol. So it's that idea of you can you can have the gift of tongues, whether it's a, a human language you don't know or an angelic language that, of course, you don't know. And 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 there's a purpose for that. It's, it's to express praise and prayer to God. A beautiful gift. But then, of course, also it's saying that there needs to be those who are interpreters of gifts, which means. Um, gifts are meant to edify other people. And so uh, if the gift of tongues is used in a public space, like right now, then we we, we would say, okay, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister, for speaking in that tongue. Uh, is there somebody who can interpret it for us so that it can edify everybody else? Because that that's, looks super fun for you right now, but none of us get it. And so we're just kind of left to wonder. So if there's someone who's able to interpret, praise God, now we can all be edified by that gift. But if there is no one to interpret in a public gathering or in a space with others where the gift is being um, utilized, then it, then we say, praise God for the gift. Let's use it appropriately. It's not going to edify everyone today at this moment, so let's not continue to explore. So that's the idea between that. We need those who can speak in the tongues and those who can interpret the tongues. That's an explanation of some of those, everything listed there. And of course there are others, but let's move to the second point. There is one purpose for the beautiful diversity of gifts. And I, I kept pointing to it as we talked through those gifts is it wasn't simply something for somebody to dwell in solely and kind of revel in and experience and make a lot of without it being of benefit to the body, to other people. I mean, that is the great aim of the gifts. It says in verse seven, to each is given, literally every believer is given a gift. Why? Given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The gift isn't about you. It's about us. And there's another component to that we'll get to in a moment, right? Abby just shared praying about her faith built me up in mine. Chalum, with fear and trembling, praying that God would heal through him was edifying the church in that part of Thailand. Jeremy sharing a prophetic word edifies that person and anytime that he's able to be faithful with it, it's for the good of others. This beautiful diversity of gifts is for the common good of the body of Christ and the unity under Christ that we might share. See, when we see that the Holy Spirit empowers every believer with manifestations of his presence for the good of the church, and that no eternal lasting value can come from anything we do apart from the Spirit at work, we begin to see how vital it is to be a church empowered by the Spirit. Let's look at the context here for just a moment. The verse preceding ours, verse 3 says, no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What's being said there is the context for the use of spiritual gifts has everything to do with what we do with Jesus. Has to do with the genuineness of our faith. See, the genuineness of our faith is shown through our profession of and continuing in the faith. In the next chapter, right after this chapter about gifts, it goes on to talk about really what's preeminent. The greatest is love, it goes on to say. We can have all kinds of gifts, gifts of tongues, gifts of prophecy, but if you don't have love undergirding it, love for brother and sister, love for the Lord, forget about it, forget about it, right? This is not helpful. And see, so we're, we're supposed to undergird all of this with love for brother and sister, and ultimately that it would make much of Christ. In Ephesians 5, It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Well, how can we be imitators of God? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus became our substitute on the cross, died in our place, took on our sin so that we could receive the free gift of grace. He's done that for us. He's loved us that much. And so we are to be a community of love who love each other well and understand manifestations of the Spirit, therefore spiritual gifts, rightly, which is let it edify, let it be an overflow of a utilizing of the love we have for one another in Christ. J.I. Packer put it this way. Um, He said, the Holy Spirit's distinctive new covenant role, so the, the work of the Spirit here and now in this day then, is to fulfill what we may call a floodlight ministry, in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. When floodlighting is done well, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are not in fact supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. He is, the Holy Spirit is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. That's helpful. That's really, really helpful. Spiritual gifts, gifts of the spirit are given for the common good. And what they're meant to do is point us all the more towards Christ. So when a manifestation of the spirit is exhibited, and you, it should be a presence of God that shines a light on Jesus and builds up your faith. What an amazing thing. Every follower of Jesus with a gift. A gift that can edify, encourage, and shine a light on Jesus. And as we do that together, it becomes these floodlights that shine on Christ. So don't miss this. The Holy Spirit is about Jesus and giving his body, the church, gifts that shine a floodlight on him. Third, lastly, how to manifest the beautiful diversity of gifts. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we are empowered by the Spirit through a number of things. This isn't exhaustive. This is a few. But I'm actually mainly just going to double back on the values we've already stated. These values of ours in the church are actually, if we give ourselves to these values, in fact, they are what will be empowering us by the Spirit for ministry. So firstly, we are empowered by the Spirit through, point one, the gospel. Let Let me read Galatians 3, 2 here. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer, of course, is that you received the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. By believing in what Jesus did, you received the Spirit. goes on. Are you so foolish? Paul's chastising the Galatians here a little bit. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Okay, so let me get this straight, Paul's saying. You received the spirit in the first place by believing in the gospel. Why is it now that you think you're going to continue in the spirit by turning to something other than the gospel? So he's saying something that should become obvious to us. We shouldn't move on from the gospel. If we want to continue in the spirit, we should continue in the gospel and live there. And so when we're centered on the gospel as a church, that's a good place to live. That's the hope. That's the desire. We live there because the Holy Spirit will continue to empower his people in living there. Life in the spirit is life that has encountered the gospel and keeps encountering the gospel. As we live there and never move on from there, the Holy Spirit's pleased to dwell in us, assure us, and work through us. As we believe the gospel and experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we are able to fight sin and grow in faith. So if we never move on from the gospel, we continue to we continue in the Spirit. And the Spirit will make his presence felt to us. And his Spirit then will be available to us to help us fight sin, conquer sin, all of those kinds of things. Now listen, I have a couple of little boys They're five and seven, and I don't do this enough, but I do this every so often is I'll pick one of them up and throw them in the air and then try to catch them, and then if I catch them successfully, I'll usually nestle my my face into their necks and blow fart noises on their necks as I kiss them and then hug them and squeeze them, and they start to want to get out of the hold, but I don't let them, and I say, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm always going to be your dad. I love being your dad. And let me ask you a question, before I do that every six months, um, before I do that, are those little boys any less my sons? Legally, technically no. (laughs) But in that moment, do you think they feel more like my sons? Of course they do. I worry sometimes that we accept Jesus, believe that he dwells in our hearts, but don't pursue that close relationship with him. We need that. That reminder, hey, I love you. I love, I'm I'm close, I'm near, you're mine. That's that's the ministering of the Holy Spirit. We receive that in the first place through the gospel and we continue in that in the gospel. Secondly, we're empowered by the Spirit through the Bible. The Bible, These might not be the answers you're expecting, but they're absolutely true. We're empowered by the Spirit through the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, earlier in the book that we're looking at this morning. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This section is talking about, it's just in light of... We preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and folly, foolishness to Gentiles. And then the word of God goes on to talk about is absolute foolishness. And it's not intelligible. We don't understand it apart from the Holy Spirit illuminating his word in us. Illumination is is the work that happens when we read the scriptures, hear the scriptures. It's a work of the spirit to help the believer grasp and love the truths revealed to them in scripture. So a lot of times we wanna be empowered by the spirit and we think, man, what's God's will for me? I wanna be used by him. What should I be doing, right? Asking those questions. What's God's will for my life here? And we, uh, Matt, we've heard that question asked a lot and it's a good question to ask. A lot of times I'll just say like, well, what has God been telling you in the scriptures lately? And they'll be like, well, I haven't really been reading my Bible lately, but I'm wondering what God's will is for me. Well, his will is that you follow his word and his spirit's gonna meet you in that, build you up and tell you what he says. I need you to hear this. You will know God's will to the degree that you know his word. He's, he's ordained it that way. You'll know his will to the degree you know his word. Because as you read his word, that's what God says. And his spirit illuminates it and works in and through that. Third, we are empowered by the spirit through the church. Acts 13 is fascinating to me because these amazing um, missionaries, Saul who had become the apostle Paul and Barnabas, are sent out from the church of Antioch in Acts 13. But you know what's fascinating about it is God tells that to the church. And the church call out from among them Saul and Barnabas, so they lay their hands on them and send them out. Who did God tell that Paul and Barnabas should go and be missionaries? He told the church that. Like, this is really important for us to see. I, w- I want us as individuals to, to to hear this. Do not separate yourself from the means of grace God has given you in the church. For you to be empowered by the Spirit, you know what? He's likely going to use the church to to call that out in you, right? And it's it's a helpful safeguard, too, right? Like, for some, sometimes it's like, I think God's calling me to be a worship leader, and, and then, you know, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church are like, well, you're tone deaf, so I don't think he's calling you to that. And If he is calling you to that, it's not at this church. So, you know, that kind of thing. That was a super negative example. Spin it to the positive, right? And then this is that idea of like, yes, God is calling you to that. I see that in you. I see that in you. I affirm that, right? And that's what the church do for one another. I want to say that to our life group leaders and any kind of small group leaders in our church where we break this big thing down into smaller groups throughout the week. I want you to hear this. This is for all of us, especially the leaders in those groups, is that is a space consistently to identify, discern, and call out giftings in each other, right? Hey, I know, I think God's gifted you. Have you thought about that, right? That's the space to kind of work that together. And so we need to be doing that that we might all experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. For many of us, we need that nudge and affirmation and encouragement from others around us who can say, actually, I'm seeing something in you that you probably don't even see. I think God's working that and pray for it. Uh, Fourth, we are empowered by the Spirit through the giftings. You have, as we've seen in the text, a manifestation of the Spirit of God to put to use for God's glory and the good of the church. The Holy Spirit empowers this in the life of every believer. Where you are neglected, sorry, where gifts are neglected in your life, you suffer and the church suffers. We all suffer. On the other hand, where you pursue these gifts that, that God freely gives, where you pursue them and use them, you experience the empowering Holy Spirit's work through that manifestation of the Spirit, and it serves the greater body. At the end of chapter 12, Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. At the beginning of chapter 14, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy because it's so useful for many. And so what's being said here is ask for these gifts. Pray, desire them, seek them, and exercise these gifts that he's given you. Fifth, we're empowered by the Spirit through I just put it, the burdens. I was running out of inspiration at that point. The burdens, the burdens. Uh, What I mean by that is is we're certainly given gifts of the Spirit where we're just in this sweet spot of like, this is my gifting, I love this, I'm an evangelist, I can talk to people about Jesus who don't know Jesus all day long, right, because that's just your sweet spot of gifting that you have of evangelism, a particular gift. But what I mean by the burdens is just this this weight on your heart, when you think of the mission of God and the call of the church in the mission of God, and you're like, man, I have a burden for this particular people group. I have a burden for this particular ministry in the church. I have a burden for it. And you might not be particularly gifted in it, but God might be calling you towards it. You might have a particular burden for a neighbor who does not yet know Jesus or the poor and the marginalized or for orphans or, or this particular burden that you should disciple a few people younger than yourself in the faith and so on. Listen, as you respond in faith and service, the Holy Spirit will empower you in the mission as you seek him and seek to work alongside him. Here's what I want to say to close, really succinct. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing of eternal good, but empowered by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, we get edified and a floodlight shines on Jesus. May we be a church continually growing and being empowered people by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask for just that. I, I ask that your will would be done in and through us, and your will was to go so that you could send the Spirit to come, our great helper. And so, God, I pray. I pray that we would not neglect the Holy Spirit. I worry sometimes, Lord, that in trying to be so faithful to the Bible, we actually trick ourselves into not being sensitive to the Spirit, which is actually... (laughs) to not give ourselves to what you make plain in the Bible, which is that we should exercise these gifts. And so Lord, I just pray that you maybe keep us from blind spots. Um, I pray that you would truly empower us as a church by your spirit in a variety, in a diverse, beautiful set of gifts. God, may we see them at work. May they be edifying to one another and may they be bring you fame and glory in Jesus name amen